You're back with us on the Rookie in the Vet podcast. Nick and I have had the pleasure of speaking with Todd Mitchum, and we have just started, and so we're going to continue this conversation with him. Um, again, as we mentioned in the, in the previous podcast, Todd has been an influence in my life more directly early on, and then uh, I kind of our past uh, went different directions and, and have come kind of, as he was saying, I, I, he actually mentioned in the, in the previous podcast, kind of full circle. Our relationship has kind of come back full circle. And so I'm excited about uh, some things that we've talked about potentially doing in the future. But I'm honored that, Todd, that you came on the podcast with us to talk to our listeners a little bit about overcoming obstacles and, and just dealing with things in life as far as when you just get hit with something and how do you, you know, how do you get past that? So earlier in the previous podcast, we were talking a little bit about both your accident that happened with you, the accident that Nick was in, but more so talking about when it affected you from going on stage and when it took a person who is this charismatic, confident, capable individual proven professional at what he does and kind of almost feels like reducing you down to am I even capable of doing this and I think you've mentioned even considering starting an eBay business instead so what I want to ask you though is tell, tell us if you can a little bit about that day or that moment where you said to yourself you know what man enough is enough I know who I am, I know what I'm capable of, and I'm not gonna be satisfied with where I am right now. So first of all, just for anybody who has an eBay business, we're not saying that's a bad thing. Not Um, at all, not at all. But yeah, there was a moment, um, and it actually came not from me at first, uh, although it did light a fire for me. My mother at the time of my accident had come, basically found out she had a second cancer. And so this, she had a breast cancer many years earlier. This one was more severe. They said it was fatal. They said she had probably six months to live. Um, so I get this news after my accident. So I'm, I'm you know, kind of recovering. I'm a mess. My brain is scrambled. And I find out my mother uh, has a second cancer. So it, it was, and it was terminal. So there was a, there was a lot happening in my life. Um, and, and so as I was going through recovery, she was going through the beginning stages of, her, of dealing with her second cancer. So she was fighting it, dealing with it. And they said, you've got maybe six months left. So there was a moment in there where her doctor, and this is a terribly sad story, but her doctor, right during her treatment and during her, all of her kind of dealing with cancer, her doctor and his young daughter, who was 13, were pinned by a semi in a freak accident, the car exploded and killed both of them. Wow. And my mother called me crying and she goes, let me just tell you this. She goes, no one gets to tell us when we're going to die. That's between us and God. And I go, okay, I hear you. She goes, now pick yourself up. If I can pick myself up, you're going to pick yourself up. I said, fine. So I hung up the phone. (laughs) Sometimes you need mom's advice, right? So I hung up the phone and I spent about a week just contemplating that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not dead. I'm not done. So I'm going to figure this out. That was the moment when I, I kind of reached back into myself and said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this work. I have to make this work. I can't, you know, if my mother's going to die and her doctor just died in a freak accident, then who am I to sit here and just quit? That's just ludicrous, you know? And the other crazy part of that story. So I go through, then I go through my recovery and I go through my work and I, get better and I get back on stage and all that. 
my mother decides to start growing cannabis and, and making her own muffins and she beats cancer within the next year and a half. Wow. And so we both recovered. My mother's still alive. So she beat cancer by taking some crazy risk, you know, and you don't get to hear every, you know, a person's full story, but when you hear it, it can blow your mind. You know, so I, so I was motivated by her. I think she was motivated by me to keep going and keep fighting and the rest is history. But it's really easy to look at someone now and go, well, look at that guy on stage or look at that person doing this or that wrote a book. Look, his life is so easy. You don't see any of the trouble or the struggle. Mm-hmm. And, and when these moments happen, and I don't know, you know, Nick, if this happened to you, but when these moments happen where you're getting basically a wake up call from whatever you believe in, you know, universe, God, your own self, whatever, when you're getting that wake up call, it's a real, it's a real nasty thing to hang up the call and not go take action. You know, so you, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to everybody around you to get yourself up and get going. And that's what I had to do. And that was the moment that just flipped it for me. I was like, that's nonsense. This is who I am. I'm the guy that went to Chicago. I'm the guy whose mother is surviving cancer. I'm the guy who can, who used to get on stage in front of 5,000 people. Like I'm that guy. So I'm going to go be that guy now. And I just redefine myself. Well, that's really amazing, Todd. Like that's truly an incredible story. And yours, your story is, it seems like it was almost like kind of like an epiphany type of moment where your mom was able to, you guys almost, your energy fed off each other, which is really amazing. So for me, my, mine was a little bit more, it, it took a little bit longer. It took a couple of years, actually. Post-accident, I think I took my, my life into a different direction. Like I, I saw myself in a really weakened state. I think this is subconsciously. I think I saw myself in a really weakened state. So I went completely opposite with fitness. I went crazy with fitness for a couple of years. Almost, I think because I was in such a weakened state, I was, I, I kind of counteracted it with like, all right, well, I'm just going to be, you know, as strong as I can or whatever. So I think we hand, we all handle that type of stuff differently. I think that fitness is kind of how I handled it, but I kind of, it, it's not really who I am. Like, that's not really, you know, me as a person, like I'm a very creative person and stuff like that. So I kind of abandoned a lot of my photography and videography during that time. And I was still lost. Like when I, um, when I finished, when I came home from school, Uh, I was still really lost when I came home and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. I tried to convince myself that I should be a business major Mm. for whatever reason. I think it was what I thought other people wanted me to do instead of just doing what I wanted to do. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I I should. So I was living for other people essentially. And finally, I I don't really recall exactly when it was, but it was recently, maybe like a year or so ago. I got, year and a half, I got real with myself and I was like, I need to stop living for other people, you know, I am a capable person, you know, I'm capable of making my own choices. Like, and I just had a complete 180 and was like, all right, I need to start living for myself and for me. And this, all this past stuff happened, but we're here and now, and I'm here for a reason. And I need to live life how I, I need to live it for myself. Yeah. So that's kind of when I, I decided to, I completely changed majors. I went to school online uh, with Arizona State. I worked full time through school to try to, um, you know, help pay for some of the stuff, and then, you know, went with um, with the, the liberal arts and 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 videography and, and the rest is history. So. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think um, everybody has a different moment and a different time when they realize something in themselves, and it takes longer sometimes. And who cares? It's your journey, right? I mean, that, that that's what everybody I think needs to realize. You're on your own journey. 
you know, I'm not on your journey with you and you're not on mine. So how yeah. can you tell me what's right for me? You can't, you don't know. Yeah. No one ever cares more about your journey than you do ever, yeah. you know? And, you know, the other thing we run into and, and I, you know, I coach a lot of, a lot of who I coach are men and they have a lot of struggle because we don't want to tell each other that we're struggling, you know? Yeah. And I, but I was really, you know, the, the, my, my business partner who we're going to do these shows with again, you know, now that I'm getting back into entertainment, he and I talked about it and we've known each other 20, 22 years and we used to perform together. And I said, you know, he's been performing. He stayed a DJ and an entertainer and a performer. He's been doing it ever since. And I said to him, I go, I'm coming back into this. I'm nervous, man. Am I too old? Am I too this? Am I too that? I go, I got to be honest. I'm freaking out because I know who I was at 28. I don't know who I am now as it relates to that guy. And so, so am I the same guy? Am I different? Who am I? He goes, dude, he goes, listen to me. What we do is unique and a lot of other people aren't doing it and you have the skill to do it. You're wasting your skill by not doing it. And if you don't have friends like that, that you can be honest with and be a little bit vulnerable and say, I'm worried, you know, I'm concerned that I may not be enough anymore. He's like, just do what you always tell everyone else to do. Just own it. I was like, thanks for reminding me of my own lesson. Now we're no longer friends. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you need your friends. You need people and you don't need 50 friends. You need like two good friends who yeah. aren't afraid to tell you the truth. That, that's the key. And the absolute, that's the absolute truth, Todd. And you made a really good point about vulnerability. I think in our culture, especially here in the United States, I mean, we're, we're so fixed on creating this um, idea about ourselves. Like our lives are perfect and there's nothing going on. Like, I think we all need to just let the, let the guard down a little bit and just be vulnerable. I think this podcast has been uh, like instrumental in me being vulnerable because I'm opening myself up to people and, and, and being transparent with myself and taking down like the facade. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, just listening to you guys talk about that. And, and for me, uh, I agree. I think this podcast has been super helpful. And I think Nick, having Nick around, uh, th that's the beauty of this whole concept of our rookie in the vet podcast is having somebody who's been in this industry for a while and having somebody who's brand new in the industry and Todd, you might be able to relate to this a little bit. After you've been around for a while and after you've been doing this for a while, there comes a point in time where you kind of feel like, man, am I, am I that old guy doing this now? <laughs> yeah. do, do, I, do I still have that you know, same step that I used to have? And mm -hmm. I know that uh, you know, every time I hear Nick, Nick's vision of what he sees when I do the job that I do and he's with me is what I need to re-believe in myself sometimes so it's yeah. great to have that like you said it's great to have that person who uh, let's be honest he's called me on my shit before too so and i'm okay with that like right, right. i don't want it to be rainbows and unicorns like i want it to be re real and authentic and and i think it's great though to have that person who does see the greatness that you can bring to the world but also helps you keep that greatness in check. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you, David. I, I, what I have realized in my journey is that there's, there's age and then there's old thinking and age is just your chronological timeline, but old thinking is when you cease to innovate or you cease to reinvent yourself. That's when you truly get old, right. And, or you truly become irrelevant. So the, the thing you're talking about is, is, you know, is the guy who's, let's say there's a guy out there right now listening who's 65 years old and still loves DJing. He may be thinking to himself, yeah, but I'm antiquated. You know, I'm old. I'm 65. 
or I'm 70 or whatever it is, but he may love what he does and he may be the most incredible professional on earth, but he feels like his age is crushing him. But if he's at reinventing himself and he's coming up with new ideas and he's constantly, you know, doing his best to, to be his best, there are going to be audiences that love what he does. There are going to be people who love what he does. I mean, there, my buddy who's a DJ here said to me, he goes, you know, I have people who request older MCs for weddings that are really expensive because they want guys who know what they're doing, who will not fail. You know, they, they want a guy who's going to get it right and not going to make a mistake. And I'm like, okay, see, that's, that's just proof. You know, and I, and I bet, you know, I, I heard an interview with Garth Brooks and I bet there was a lot more to it than what he was saying in the interview. But in the interview, when they asked him, what's it like to be back on stage after all this time? I mean, what was it, 20 years or 17 years? He wasn't performing while his girls went to, or went to high school. And then he went to Vegas a couple, he would do weekends in Vegas. That's how he started to reboot his career. He goes on stage now, I think he sings two songs that are new and everything else is every song he sang from 92 to 97. And it's just like every hit he ever had, he does it over and over. He's the highest paid concert uh, musician right now on earth. He, he travels constantly. He's, when he did Denver a couple of years ago, he did seven shows in a weekend. I mean, the guy is on fire and he's in his 50s. And when he gets on stage, he's, it's like he's 22 years old, not because he's bouncing around and jumping off of speakers necessarily, <laughs> although he was, but because it's the authenticity, he's reinvented himself, he, he's consistent, he's strong, and he's, he's introducing a whole new generation to his music because he's not looking at it like he's too old to be standing there. It's all an internal mind game, you know, whether it's age or injury or whatever it is, it's an internal game. If you believe, and by the way, I've had those same thoughts. Am I to this or that? Am I not enough of this or that? It's a mental game. And then what will happen is, and you guys know this because you've been through things, if you're playing a negative mental game, you'll find 15 things externally outside of yourself to prove yourself right. See, oh, see, I'm antiquated. See, oh, I'm, I'm too injured. See, I'm never going to make it. I'm, I'm too this, that, or the other thing because someone verifies it. Funny thing happens when you start to have positive mindset, then you get the same kind of verification, but for the positive. So it's all starting inside your own head and inside your own, you know, act of will about your own life. Sorry, that was my speech. Sorry about that. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, confirmation bias, I mean, is so important and it can play into your positive or negative, you know, space. I mean, for myself, like I, I re just recently, I was kind of in a little bit of like a like a negative space, and I kind of just picked myself up and like, all right, we're gonna negative thinking just exacerbates negative thinking. You have to, you you truly do have to like see the world and control how you think in your mind. Positive thinking is going to pay dividends to how you experience the world and how you see things. The other thing I was gonna say that's really that I've really focused on too is you've got to be willing to people out of your life that are the naysayers, the negative, the people that drag you down, they're not supporting you. And I, and I know it's hard, you know, when you're younger, guys are like, no, nah, but I want a lot of friends. No, you don't. You want the right friends. You know, you want the right people. You want the right people who are going to build you up, tell you when you're, you know, like David said, like you're not afraid to tell him when he's off track, right? Right. You need those people, but not in a negative way. They're trying to help you. You know, people right. that are like, man, you can do better. You can do better. That's right. not your best. You can do better versus what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Right. It's terrible. You need the people that are building you up even as they're giving you feedback. And so 
I talk about, I even talked about it in my book. You got to, sometimes you got to burn a bridge on purpose because if you don't burn it on purpose, you're going to cross it again. So sometimes you have to, if these are people that are trying to drag you down and wreck your life and constantly nag you and they're telling you how you're going to fail or you're trying to go to the gym and they're trying to take you to TGI Fridays on a weekend and drink beers and eat fried food. These are not the people you need around you all the time. You know, you need people that are building you up. And if that means your friend circle shrinks, who cares? <laughs> you know, like, good. You know, it's yeah. probably for the best. Yeah. And one thing that's really unique about David and I's relationship is that we are very transparent with each other. And I think I need, like David's definitely the person for me that I can trust enough to say like, Hey dude, shoot me straight. Like, is this good or bad? And I think maybe I don't want to speak on David's behalf, but I hope I could be the same for David as well. I think that's what's unique about our relationship. No, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, that that's the, the great synergistic part of our relationship. Uh, outside of the fact that you're just a cool guy to hang out with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a, that's just a great, uh, we have uh, just a great, professional relationship in that regard and and it's nice i think it's a nice layer to have a good professional relationship with somebody who you also are friends with and, and you can separate the two and still come back together on either side of those things when you need yeah. to we're going to take a quick break you guys todd kind of teased it i don't know if you guys heard it but todd kind of teased it he wrote a book recently and when we come back i'd like to talk a little bit with you todd about that book so you're listening to the rookie and the vet podcast we'll be right back all right you guys you're back with us on the rookie and the vet podcast today we're talking with todd mitchum and todd before the break we you kind of sprinkled a little uh little nugget in there about your book i i know the book is titled you disrupted Seizing the life you want by shaking, breaking, and challenging everything. That sounds super exciting. Uh, Sounds like a very, very cool concept. I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about the book and then maybe even how they can pick up a copy of the book. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, uh, we'll just, you know, let me just kind of get into the title first because people get confused about it. The title you disrupted basically speaks to one concept that I've found throughout my entire life, whether I was an entertainer in corporate world or in the cannabis industry, whatever I was doing or now like doing presentation skills and going back into the entertainment world. One thing I've learned is that you've got two choices. Either life is going to throw disruptive elements at you or you are going to disrupt it yourself for the better. Now, typically when something is thrown at you that's disruptive, it tends, it can be, it can be very destructive. It's kind of like Nick and I talking about being in accidents, right? So that's me getting hit by something disrupts my life could have destroyed me could have killed him so those are disruptions that can turn negative however if i take charge of my situation if i say i'm going to look at the way i'm doing things and i may want to break them on purpose to make them better i'm going to disrupt my life myself I, it's basically an empowerment saying i'm in charge of me i'm in charge of what i do next I'm in charge of how I react or act in a situation. It's getting control of your own life. And what I did was, is I took real stories from my career, my life, my, my accident, everything, 
And I layered those stories into usable learning that people could apply to their own life. You know, when I talk about the car accident, I'm talking about overcoming obstacles. When I'm talking about, you know, being a disruptor in general, I'm talking about being on stage and taking a huge risk. And, and so I'm going through these steps because then it helps people take the learning and apply it to their own life. I'll tell you this, writing a book is probably the single most terrifying thing, especially when it's about your life. I mean, there's a whole chapter that I have in there about failure, all kinds of times that I failed just where I didn't hit the target. But what I tell people in the book is these things that were failure, I learned from each one of them. So even though the chapter's about failure, it's actually about learning. It's about turning failure into learning. And so, you know, every one of those quote failures were actually tools for me to learn a lesson and to go in a new direction. So the book is for that. You can buy it anywhere. I mean, it's wherever books are sold. There's an audio book, which by the way, I had to negotiate with my agent and with the people that did the audio book because they wanted to hire someone to read it. And I'm like, no one's going to read my own book better than I do. This is about my life. These are about my circumstances. And I got it to the point where they actually paid me to read my own book. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but, but I had to fight for that, you know, and that's, that's what I mean. You've got to be willing to be in the arena of battle sometimes and stand up for what's right for you. And that's what I had to do. And, and so the book's great. I mean, it's, People who listen to it will tell me that it helped them see a perspective they hadn't seen. There are grown men that will come to speeches that I give and hug me like there's no tomorrow and just tell me thank you because it, I was real. I was authentic. And that's, that's what they wanted to hear and read. So it's awesome. That's awesome. And I can't imagine, Todd, how cathartic it is to kind of write about failure and stuff like that and just put all your cards on the table, essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, like you, you leave nothing, no stone unturned in your life. So I'm, that's really awesome. And I'm personally a book nerd, so I'm definitely going to have to get my hands on that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a hard process. But again, it was a goal that I wanted my whole life and I, I went for it, you know, and I have, I had a lot of support. I got a great wife and a good life. And I was like, this is the right time. I actually, I got the book sold in about seven days after writing the pitch and I wrote it in five months. It was, it was unreal. I mean, I just sat down and did it day in and day out. I just never stopped. And once I get my teeth on it, I just can't let it go. And so now will I do another one? I doubt it. <laughs> it was exhausting, <laughs> but, um, but who knows, you know, it was a lot of fun to do it and, to say that you've done it. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't go, you know, there were so many things I could have, I could have gone further. I think if I had any, you know, everyone always think, you know, second guesses what they, you know, how they did it, would they do it differently? If I did it differently, I think I would have even gone further. I would have gone further into being a little more probably, you know, strict with people, you know, like, like cut it out, stop doing this. Don't be a baby, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I didn't want to turn everyone off. So I, <laughs> I pulled it back a little bit, but I, but I think if I, if I had to do it again, I might've been even tougher. You know, our culture right now seems like it likes people who are super authentic. So yeah. I'm definitely like that on stage though. I definitely hit pretty hard and, you know, and if, if I can overcome the things I've can overcome, then so can everybody else. I think authenticity is, is really the, if it's not the wave of now, I think it's moving into the wave of future. Uh, you yeah. start, you're starting to see that. I think even in social media, there, there used to be, for a long time, and it's still pretty prevalent, this, this premise of perfection and, and this fake life that you see out there. And, and I think people are kind of getting tired of that. I think people, they gravitate towards authenticity now. I think people yeah. want to know the true, not the, 
not the reality TV version of yourself, but the reality version of yourself. And so I think that people, you're going to see people gravitating more towards that authenticity because they realize that the fake shit's not really getting them anywhere. You're, no, you're not getting anywhere with that stuff. No. And what's funny is you try, you know, I, like I said, I've had incredible successes. I've had, I've done things that I'm sure people look at and they go, I don't know how he did that. I've also had incredible failure. So that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? And all, and any of your listeners who are, have their own business know this. There are days, you know, I, the joke I make with people is you have, you have days where you're, uh, you know, rolling in cash and you have days when you're rolling quarters for gas. Like, you know, like yeah. <laughs> that can be, and that can be two days apart. You know, you know what I mean? You just, uh, it just depends. So you, so you have these, you know, your goal is to try to be consistent and build things over time. But you take, you know, you, as an entrepreneur, you'll take a big risk, you know, like I'm sure you guys have to, there's a piece of equipment you feel like you have to have, or there's, or there's just some, some risk you have to take that's going to cost you money or time. And you know, it's a risk and you know, it could fail, but again, it's part of the energy of it. You know, you want to take the risk because that's how you feel alive and you feel, you know, you feel happy doing that. And at the end of the day, you know, nobody gets out of this thing alive, right? we're all done for. <laughs> so, so <laughs> last time I checked, there is no thousand year old human running around. So we're all, we're all done. We all have a timeline. And the, the rub is we don't know the end timeline. And there's a model that I've been speaking about the last year, which is a, I call it the look up model. And it's basically, if I don't look up towards what mm -hmm. I want, I'm looking down towards things to ruin my life towards until I get to the end of my life. And the way we find ultimate happiness is sustained action over time in a certain direction. And you either look up and go that direction up or you look down and go that direction. But either way, you're going to end. Your timeline is going to end. And you get to make all the choices about looking up and moving forward and positive and figuring out the next thing for yourself or looking down towards negative negativity and self-talk and defeat and naysayers and all that. Either way, you're going to live and you're going to die. Right. So everything else is a choice. Time will pass and you've got to make a decision, you know, how, which direction you're going to go up or down. So I think a lot of times one of the challenges that people have are they're worried about what somebody is going to think. We, we talked about that a little bit earlier <laughs> well, in the we conversation, all are, sure. what somebody is going to think, what somebody is going to say. And uh, you had, a, we were talking about this off camera. You had a really, a uh, cool concept on or not necessarily concept, but a quote on that, that I'd love for you to share if you would. Yeah. It's not my, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's not my quote. It's Theodore Roosevelt's quote. And he, you can look it up. It's, it's, it's the quote about the critic and it's very long. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the part that I always think about is when he says right at the beginning, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. So I love that. It's not the, it's, it's the people in the cheap seats criticizing the person who's actually trying to do something with themselves. Those are the people that don't matter. You know, that, 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 there's another piece in it where he says, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood. That's where the credit goes. Even in the attempt, you're maybe getting banged up or you're getting beat up or you're going to fail, but you're at least attempting you're at least living your life. You know, I don't, I don't ever criticize someone who's actually out there trying to do something with themselves. They're trying to improve their life. They're trying to live their dream. You know, I mean, if a DJ came to me tomorrow and he was 70 years old and said, 
you know, I, I need to find a new way to DJ or something. I would tell them, I would go, look, here are five things you can do. There are retirement communities that love people like what, you know, your age. I mean, there, there are a million ways you can still be fulfilled. You know, why, why do you have to finish? You don't have to be done. You know, you, you don't have to be done. You can keep going. And, and the, the criticism, you know, you got to keep in mind what that is. That is people who see, who see lack in themselves. And the only way they can feel better is to deflect that onto you. That's it. I mean, they, they are so dissatisfied with them. You ever notice how people that are like evil or narcissistic or terrible human beings, they'll always call someone else that because it's actually them. That that's, mm, right. that, you know, it's inside them and they don't want to admit it. So they, it's easier for them to criticize everyone else. And if you've ever been through a bad relationship or a bad circumstance or an accident, or, there's always somebody to tell you how you should have been doing that. And you'll hear judgment words. Oh, well, you're the, you know, you're bad or you're, you're, you didn't, you're not a good parent or you, you know, you didn't, you didn't do a good job for this reason, or you're too selfish or you're too that. Isn't it funny how when people say you're too selfish, what they mean is I think you should be paying more attention to me, which is actually the height of it, you know? So it's just ironic that people with the biggest, loudest judgments are usually the ones with the biggest, loudest problems and not to get too graphic, but I've said to people, you know, and it's a quote that I've seen a million times, but I say it all the time. I'll go, look, the people criticizing you are nowhere near having their own shit together. So just, just keep that in mind. You know, everyone's messed up in some way. Everyone's dealing with their own business. Everyone's got grief. Everyone's had a, something in their childhood that hurt their feelings. You know, we're, we're all sort of in, in the same place, you know. And, and so if you're out there in the arena and you're doing your best and you're happy doing your best, just live with that. Be happy with that. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. And I would just say that it's so funny and I, how this conversation kind of went because I was talking to David literally before we got on here. I was going beating myself up about uh, this wedding edit that I was doing and how, oh, it's not perfect in this way and it's not perfect in that, that way. But I'm in the arena. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. like you said, like, I'm, like, like it's still going to be beautiful for them. Like it's still going to be an, an amazing chronicling of their day but it's it's not perfect but I'm in the arena and I'm doing it and I think that's yeah, the most important thing to recognize so this conversation for me honestly has been super therapeutic like oh good man that's throwing good. it out there <laughs> yeah I mean you know it's funny I as I as I you know every year passes in my life I think I like I was watching some old footage of me performing back in the 90s and and I was like man, I wish I could go back and tell that guy to stop sweating perfection. Yeah. I wish I could go back and tell that guy to chill out, man, just relax, you know, like, because there were times even on stage, I was loving it and I'm doing huge stuff. But I could, I know in myself, I was like, you know, I should be in business. I shouldn't be doing this. I, I, this is, this is just entertainment. This is not like real business, you know? So I would toggle between super fulfillment and like, is this enough for society? Should I be doing more? Right. Yeah. For society? You know, and, it, and, it, and if I could go back in time, I'd be like, hey, dude, just keep doing that. Just stop yeah. worrying about that stuff. You know, just, just relax, man. Yeah. Just relax. It's, everything's fine. Everything, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's all going to be okay. The other thing, though, that, you know, and I don't know if you guys know or feel this, but I feel, too, the, the internet with all of its good stuff, and don't get me wrong, it's got a lot of great aspects, marketing and being able to do this and communicate and connect. But it also, it, it doesn't have a lot of forgiveness in it, you know, so guys can make mistakes. You can have a catastrophic failure in your life. If it's publicized, if it's out there, you're living with it forever. I mean, it, that's a problem because you used to be able to in, 
to reinvent yourself. You know, you could reboot, you could recover, you could learn from your mistake and then get better at it. And we see it in media. You know, you see like celebrities who said something they shouldn't have said on some social media 10 years ago. Yes. I mean, 10 years ago. Yes. Like, you know, my thinking 10 years ago and today are not in the same game. Can you imagine? Like these guys 10 years ago who said something and they lose their job today. And, and it's like, what about the context of the past? What about learning from your mistakes? What about growing? What about improving? So it's a very unforgiving culture, you know, I mean, and, and that's part of the challenge is that people will bring that. So you got to be stronger now. You got to be able to go, that was my past. Yes. Yeah, so what, what have you done? What are you doing? But yeah. When you've, when you've taken big risks and you've made big mistakes, then you can get in my face and talk to me about mine. Until then, I don't know what you're talking about. You got nothing for me. You know, like, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. So you, we have to be stronger to overcome even people's judgments of history, you know, of our history. And so that's the challenge too. So that was a long winded thing there, but I, I feel like it's important. No, it makes a lot of sense. We, we definitely live in a quick to judge and, and quick to, you know, it's this instant gratification of, of either good or bad society. And, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, you're right. Some people do you think about it like let's take it back to being a child you know like think about all the mistakes you make as a child you don't you don't just you know all of a sudden don't get to grow up to be an adult because you made right. all these mistakes as a child right. and, and if you really kind of look at it from that aspect it kind of makes sense in the in the fact that yeah people are going to make mistakes people are going to say things people are going to do things partially because of their beliefs, partially because of how they've been brought up, partially because of the experiences they've gone through, good or bad in their lives, partially yeah. because of where they are mentally right there and then at the time of that action or, or statement. Yeah. And to, to condemn somebody completely forever, forever for, for that one moment yeah. in time just seems a, a little absurd. Yeah. I, I'll just tell you, I, I will, um, uh, and I, and I've privately told people this, so this is kind of a reveal, but you know, I, I was born in West Virginia. So I, I grew up on the border of West Virginia and Virginia. And, you know, I grew up in that area throughout the early part of, or the mid middle of the 1970s. And I remember my family, I'm talking like grandmother, you know, close family were super racist, super racist not because they're horrible people, but because the context of the time and the divisions of the South were just like that. It was just the culture. I'm not saying it's right. It's horrible. But if she were alive today and she were someone important and you reached back into her childhood in the 1920s and you go, how could you be so racist from the 1920s to the 1970s? You're just not worthy of anything today. That would be ludicrous because there's no, you don't have the context of the time period. Was it bad then? Yes, but it was different then. And so when you look back on people's history and you go, you know, when you were 17 years old, you said this one thing and that's terrible. And you should now no longer be in office or no longer be, you know, a professional because I can't believe you did this or said this. That's what I worry about with my kids. You know, what are they saying on social media? Because that is going to live with them. You know, they're, they are 11, uh, 13 and 15. So they're at that age where everything's online, right? Mm. Where, what are they going to do when they're 30? <laughs> you know, and like someone reaches back and saw something they posted when they were 17 or 15. That's what I worry about because it's a very unforgiving culture. Unless we get so desensitized that we're like, oh, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? But we're not there yet. People use it as leverage. There are people who have built their career off of destroying others 
from their yeah. past. It's just tragic. So I'm hoping we can overcome that and with some strength internally. And I hope so. I mean, it's really sad that like you see people like Kevin Hart and other, you know, celebrities who have just gotten pulverized by the media and the general public for stuff that they've done 10 years ago. And I think it's even more pervasive with celebrities because they're on the pedestal. You know what I mean? Like they are, they're in the public eye. So I think it's definitely, they're more susceptible to that kind of stuff, but we really need to just get off that. that uh, and, and, and it's, you know, f- with things like Twitter and places like that, a small amount of people can try to destroy one person's life. And, they, and it's, yeah. it's a small amount of people. It's, it's, not, it's not like it's 10 million people trying to ruin you. It's like five, you right. know, five or 10 people went after Kevin Hart yeah. and tried to destroy him based on the past for whatever reason, which made no sense. And when they said, well, you know, will you apologize? And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And then he did. And then he went everywhere. But, but, you know, but I think it was, it's the same thing. It's like, we've got to get, and again, it, maybe this is something we can teach others. You got to be strong enough that you go, I don't care what you think about me. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I can't be perfect. That's not reality. So right. take me as I am or don't, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing stuff, you know, so. It's just life. Really awesome. And don't waste your time on it. I mean, I've had critics my whole career. And there are times when I've followed my own philosophy and there are times I have wasted an ungodly amount of time on people that I shouldn't have. And so if I have a lesson for anybody, it's don't waste any more time on anyone who's criticizing you and trying to tear you down. Just don't, it takes, you have to be the bigger person and you have to go, I don't care. I don't care what you're saying. You know, I don't care. You know, you don't, you, you are not in the arena with me. Yeah. Therefore, I don't care what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, that, and you've got to be strong. That's the key. You're listening to the Rookie in the Vet podcast. We uh, will be back next week to wrap up our conversation with Todd Mitchum. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about a little bit more industry specific stuff, things that are really close to my heart, the reasons why Todd has been such a big influence on my career. And hopefully we can utilize that to help people wherever they are in the stage of their career, whether you're just now getting started or whether you've been in the arena for a while, as we've called it, and you're, you're looking to get to that next level. So stay tuned next week. We'll wrap up our conversation with Todd Mitchum. You're listening to the Rookie in the Vet podcast. (music) 